Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, March the 21st, 2022. It is currently 9.50 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, one of the things I love to do on this podcast is to try to look into the future and figure out where the church is going. What problems is the church going to face? What what is the greatest dangers facing the church? What do I feel is the current state of the church and what does that mean for the future? And many times when I turn on the microphone to talk about that, I find myself in major disagreement with other maybe Christian podcasters and other Christian programs that talk about the future of the church. Um, they, they will point to certain things that they think that's the danger. That's the thing that's going to tear the church apart. That's the thing we need to, to be the most worried about. And I tend to take a, a different perspective or at least offer an alternative perspective. I know that uh, within many conservative churches, they constantly think the greatest threat to the church is progressive Christianity, liberal politics, Democrats, critical race theory, and they think that is what's going to destroy the church. And I personally reject that entire narrative. I completely reject it, and here's the reason why. Liberal churches, where progressive theology may be, where I guess you could try to make some crazy claim that a critical race theory is there, or whatever other liberal ideology would be present— those churches that are liberal who are already embracing that, those churches had already abandoned biblical theology. Most of those kinds of churches had already abandoned the inspiration of the, of the scriptures. They, they, they had abandoned so many things, right? So th- 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 those liberal ideologies are not a threat to those churches because those churches had already abandoned the faith. You're not tearing those churches apart. You're not destroying historical biblical Christianity because those churches have abandoned historical biblical Christianity, which then allowed them to embrace and buy into maybe liberal ideologies and all of these other alternative ideologies because, well, they no longer have biblical Christianity to preach. They got to find something else to teach and preach. So I don't see that as a major threat to historical biblical Christianity in any way, shape, or form. Those churches already left it. So those critical race theory, progressive ideology, liberal, Democrat, none of that is a threat to those churches. They already left to Christianity. I've constantly said the greatest threat, I believe, to what, what we'll call them conservative churches, because conservative churches typically still hold on to some form of a biblical theology, believing the Bible is the inspired word of God, believing Jesus is the eternal son of God, believing in the doctrine of eternal punishment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those churches, I believe, are trying to hold on to biblical theology, but I think what happens to them is they become hijacked and infiltrated by conservative politics. Conservative politics come in and they merge biblical Christianity with conservative politics, which ultimately destroys biblical Christianity. And you create this weird political hybrid that claims to be Christianity, but it's more political. I think the greatest threat to biblical Christianity and greatest threat to the, a biblical church is the hijacking and the infiltration of political ideology from the right. Because we, we start thinking, um, Christians start acting and thinking 
like, let's say, secular conservatives. In other words, Christianity just becomes a, Christianity ceases to exist, and it just becomes now just another organization promoting conservative political ideology. That's a threat to Christianity because the liberal side, they already left Christianity. But these are conservative churches claiming to hold on to biblical Christianity. And if they merge with Christianity, a conservative, right-leaning, Republican ideology, and somehow try to make that work with Christianity, that will write Christianity out of existence. It will write, you know, wipe it off the face of the earth. And I know people think that that sounds like hyperbole and that I'm exaggerating, but I think that's the threat. Everyone's running around screaming, critical race theory, critical race theory is going to destroy Christianity. And I'm like, no, <laughs> critical race theory is not going to destroy Christianity. What's going to destroy Christianity is right-leaning politics and ideology that hijack Christianity and make this very clear. The right-leaning pol- political world simply sees the church as a means to the end. That is their political power. That is them winning victories. They don't care about the furtherance of the gospel. They don't care about scripture, theology, doctrine. They just see the church as, oh, this is this is a demographic that will vote for us. So let's do a couple of things that they want. Let's make them happy. We get their vote. They don't care at all, ultimately, in any meaningful way about the spreading of the gospel, discipleship, and those kinds of types of things. I'm not saying that this is true of every conservative politician. I'm saying in general, the church is just a means to an end. The church constantly, in a sense, prostitutes itself to the politicians so that we can supposedly get some kind of political victory, but we're not supposed to be looking for political victory. We're supposed to be looking for the preaching and teaching of the gospel. So whenever I give my kind of thoughts of where I think the church is going, I tend to find myself in massive disagreement. But at least, hopefully, people are willing to hear a different perspective, an alternative perspective. And and I think time will ultimately prove whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong. But I I, I tend to try to follow my own path and not and not just, oh, oh, this is what I'm supposed to say, because every Christian podcast is critical race theory, it's liberals. And it's like, well, I, I think we're missing, I think we're missing the point. But because I'm constantly looking for that kind of thing, I wanted to run up here this morning, because I'm here in my uh, up, up, the upstairs room here in my house. I wanted to run up here really quick and talk about, well, the future of, well, the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention. Now, if you do not know, the Southern Baptist Convention is obviously, I I know you know this, a Christian denomination based in the United States. Now, this is very important. It is the world's largest Baptist denomination and the largest Protestant denomination. Southern Baptists are the largest Baptist denomination and the largest Protestant denomination. So what is happening in that denomination is of great importance and great significance because it may indicate where Christianity is headed. It, it's just, it, it's it's smaller than Roman Catholicism, but outside of that, it's, I mean, obviously it's the largest Protestant, the largest Baptist, so it has massive amounts of influence. And where it goes kind of gives us an insight to where maybe Christianity is headed. And there is concern whether you believe it's warranted or whether you believe it's all hype and it's all 
you know, exaggeration. You'll have to make that determination. But there is concern that the Southern Baptists are headed to basically a civil war, that the Southern Baptist Convention is going to end up tearing itself apart. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I saw the news article and immediately ran up here and wanted to share it with you. And of course, I'm just going to give you the, the basic information now, and then maybe over time, we will obviously talk about this again. And then your feedback is always important as well. I know we have listeners who are part of Southern Baptist churches. They may have far greater insight into this than I have. I am not a Southern Baptist. Um, so I I, I'm by no means claim to be an expert on Southern Baptist Church, their politics, their procedures, but I, I, I know because of the their influence, it's important to keep an eye on them because it may give us an indication of where the church is headed. So let, let's let's see where the church is going here. All right. Here is the headline. This was published at 1:38 a.m. 1:38 a.m. Headline. Is Southern Baptist Convention fixing to fight like it's 1979? Now, I'm guessing that that headline means something to who are Southern Baptist and people who know Southern Baptist history, because obviously there was something that happened in 1979, all right? Obviously, I don't remember that. I don't, I don't know exactly what occurred at that point in time, but I'm sure we're going, we're going to find out here in this article. So is Southern Baptist Convention fixing to fight like it's 1979? There's a lot I could say right there, but let's just continue. Once upon a time, Southern Baptist in the Bible Belt communities knew how to talk to people who didn't go to church. Now, this is an interesting way to start the article. So let me read that again. Once upon a time, Southern Baptists and Bible Belt communities knew how to talk to people who didn't go to church. We were dealing with people who were, for the most part, like us, said uh, said Baptist historian Nathan Finn. Uh, I see here. Um, Everyone understood. They go through all of his credentials, but he's a Southern, he's a Baptist historian. I'm not going to read all of his credentials, all right? Um, everyone understood sweet tea, fried chicken, SEC football. It was easier to talk to people about Jesus. All right, that that is, again, still an interesting way to start this story. So we're going to start the story that there was a time that in Southern Baptist Bible Belt communities. You could just talk to anyone about Jesus because there was, there was a, there was something common. There was, everyone had a, a, so much in common that it was easier to talk to them. So this seems to be indicating that there's been a shift within culture, especially within the Bible Belt communities. All right, let, let's see what they have to say here. Things changed, all right? As the greater Greenville Spartanburg welcomed waves of high-tech firms and industries with global brands such as BMW, and then they go through a, num- a number of, of global brands, and many others. Today's newcomers speak German or Japanese. It's not, bl- and this is their words, it's not black folks and white folks from the South. We're past that. The Sun Belt has gone global and we're more urban we don't know how to talk to the new people, said Finn. The cultural gaps, the cultural gaps are bigger. Southern Baptists are better at handling these kinds of issues in foreign missions than in their own communities. All right, look, this is just an interesting 
approach. So what, how they want us to see this is that there's been a change happening within culture, especially within Bible Belt communities. The communities have turned global. People from different parts of the world have come in. Big firms have moved in. And so now the people are very different. So Southern Baptists, they're claiming, are no longer good at talking to those people about Jesus. They may be good at doing it on a foreign mission field, but they're not so good at doing it within their own communities. That, that's just a, that's an interesting take. I guess what they're saying is maybe the reason why, I guess maybe this is the way the argument is going. The, the, the way, the reason Southern Baptist churches are seeing a massive decline in membership and baptisms is because the communities have changed and the people who are Southern Baptists don't know how to talk to people from different cultures and different backgrounds. That sounds more like an excuse to me than an actual reason that, that I, I don't, that just sounds like, well, we've, we've got to explain why our churches aren't growing. Oh, I know why. Cause look at my neighbor. They speak Japanese and German and they're not, they're not a good old boy from the South. I, that just seems bizarre to me. I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll just see where they're going with this. And so that's, that's just an interesting way to start this story. Cause I thought they were going to talk about what's going on within the convention. Let, let's see where they end up with this. All right. Finn has been studying this trend and others for years, which led him to write a series of articles in 2009 for Southern Baptist Theological Seminary entitled 15 Factors That Have Changed the SBC Since 1979. So he he wrote an article about 15 factors that's changed the Southern Baptist Convention, and I guess one of them is that the communities have changed. I, I, okay. We'll see. Now, he, he's the historian. He's written the articles. He knows far more than I do. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to think out loud about, okay, how, so what, what, what's the problem again? What, what's the problem again? You're like, well, those people are different. We don't know how to talk to them. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, to mock, but it, it's almost like that, that's the way this is kind of, it's almost, like if you were to read this, it's almost like a parody, right? It's almost like someone making fun of, you know, here's a Southern Baptist. I'm going to use a, a fake Southern accent. Well, look at that. Our neighbors, our neighbors are not from around here. I don't know how to talk to them about Jesus. It's almost like you're saying that people are so in the South are un, are not capable of of building a relationship or talking to someone from a different culture. It, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. It just seems an interesting way to approach this. Let's see where they go here. Anyone who knows Southern Baptist Convention history gets the 1979 reference. That was when activists backing biblical inerrancy attacked establishment leaders of America's largest Protestant flock while also supporting causes favored by the surging religious right. Electing one SBC president after another during the 1980s, this conservative resurgence helped change the face of evangelicalism. Now, I think it's very true that the face of evangelicalism changed dramatically from 1979 when you had this conservative resurgence within the Southern Baptist Convention. I would ask this. Uh, on one hand, so let me make a statement first. On one hand, I agree that there was a conservative theological resurgence that started taking a stance for the inerrancy of scripture, the inspiration of scripture, so some major important theological issues. But I think along with this conservative insurgence, now I'll ask it as a question, do you feel that a lot of that conservative resurgence wasn't theological, it was political? 
It was about political power, political solutions, and fighting the culture war from a political standpoint, not a theological one. I believe that one of the big things that started happening, especially as you move into the 80s, 90s, and especially when you get into the 2000s, that this that was the beginning of the political hijacking of, of, well, one of the largest Protestant, the largest Protestant denomination. Uh, maybe it starts in 1979. Maybe, right? Uh, they go on to say, uh, there are there are signs, I, now this is important, there are signs that a second Baptist civil war may be ahead. That, that, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty bold statement, that, that a second Baptist civil war is, 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 is headed our way, or headed their way, I should say. It's headed our way because obviously it could impact all of Christianity in some way, shape, or form. Why do they think that? This is what they have to say. A key moment came on March the 1st when Southern Baptist Convention President Ed Litton of Alabama said he would not, as he became the norm, seek a second term. Now, let's stop right here. Now, I'm still baffled and confused by the whole Ed Litton thing in the first place, right? He, he, he's, he becomes the president, and it becomes immediately known and exposed that in on Ed Litton's church's website, they had a completely fraudulent definition of the Trinity. Completely fraudulent. It's completely heretical. We, we, we talked about it here on this podcast, and it, it was completely messed up. When it was exposed, nothing was really done other than his church just deleted the, the controversial part. Just immediately just, I guess, changed their doctrine like within 30 minutes. Boom. Just deleted it. He never really gave any definitive answer or response to what do you actually believe about the Trinity? And the Southern Baptist didn't really care what he believed about the Trinity. There was also the accusations of plagiarism, but nobody seemed to care about plagiarism or a false understanding of the Trinity. I guess that doesn't matter to Southern Baptists. That was, to me, extremely, that already was problematic, right? But he's not going to run for a second term. He's not going to run for a second term, which I guess is becoming the norm. People now are just going for one term and then they're, they're, they're done, which could create a lot of instability. But OK, let's continue. Uh, last June, he narrowly defeated a pastor from the Conservative Baptist Network, a new coalition that insists SBC leaders have become too woke on critical race theory, the role of women, COVID-19 policies and the other fault lines in American life. Now, please note. Here's someone who's conservative, and what is he concerned about? Wokeness, critical race theory, the role of women, COVID-19 policies. Now, other than the role of women, which obviously would have biblical and theological implications, many of those other issues are cultural issues, cultural issues, but th th this is sometimes where the focus becomes, the church becomes we're going to fight this culture war. We're going to fight this culture war. We're going to fight this culture war. And we stop focusing on biblical Christianity. I, that's, that's the argument I'm going to continue to make. Let's see where they go with this. Finn is convinced that Southern Baptists are, this time around, fighting over how to respond to rapid cultural changes as opposed to the theological disputes of the past. Here you, I want you to hear that. Now, this, the same historian, which I, I didn't, I don't quite understand his 
perspective about Southern Baptists not being able to talk to their neighbor who's different, okay, that I'm a little perplexed by that. But he acknowledges or seems to agree, we, we agree with one another, that this time the issue is not theological, it's cultural changes. It's, the, the Southern Baptists are focused on cultural changes. Culture is changing. Culture is becoming too woke. Culture is this. Culture, we got to fight these cultural battles. Instead of worried about theological issues, they're worried about cultural battles. And typically the cultural battles are not fought biblically or theologically. They are looked to be fought politically. So then the church looks for whichever politician they think will fight the wokeness or the critical race theory. And then the church is over here, to me, fighting the wrong battle, fighting the wrong war with the wrong methods. We're using fleshly methods. We're using worldly methods. And we're no longer engaged in spiritual warfare. That's where I think is the major issue of the church. Is that where the Southern Baptist is about to go? Well, we'll, we'll see what they say here. Um, it is this liberal versus conservatives 2.0. He goes on to say, I think that dog doesn't hunt. We're not even in shouting distance of the biblical issues that were at stake in 1979. I think that what we're facing is a, a microcosm of the divisions we see in America in general. Now, I want you to hear that. When the church becomes a microcosm, of the world, you know the church has gotten everything wrong. When when you when people say, "Here's the world," see they're divided all over, uh, over these cultural issues. They're fighting each each other politically. That's the culture. And then someone looks over and goes, "Well, there's the church, and it's a microcosm of what's going on in the culture." That means the church has lost the plot. That means the church has lost the narrative, and that means we're in trouble. We're in trouble. There's, there's no, when the, the church is not supposed to be a microcosm of the culture, we're supposed to be counter to the culture. We're to be different. Well, the world is screaming about cultural issues. We are preaching the gospel. We're teaching doctrine and theology. We're calling people to repentance and faith. We're studying church history. We're looking at our own sins and our own failures and trying to see what we can do to move forward. At the same time, Finn said, some themes from his old uh, 15 factors essay remains relevant. For example, back in 1979, most SBC churches remained united by a kind of a brand loyalty when it came to handling worship, youth work, education, publishing, and evangelism. This produced what some called an SBC ethnicity, all right? In other words, back in 1979, there was like a there was like a, this is what it means to be Southern Baptist. This is what it means to be Southern Baptist. And everyone kind of just followed that template. And just another thing that just drives me crazy is that churches or denominations are basically handed a template and everyone has to follow that template. But okay, that, that's a whole different story. Today, these ties have weakened as more Americans, including Southern Baptists, flock into independent non-denominational megachurches and parachurch ministries that blur the line between Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Charismatic, and others. Now, there's a massive move to for people to flock into basically ministries, churches, that have blurred the lines theologically. In other words, theological lines have become blurred. People are erasing the theological lines. And, and this is very important. When you erase theological lines, you're erasing theological definitions. And once you erase theological definitions, then the faith cannot be defined. 
Now we've been we we started talking about this a lot in our introduction to the book of Jude. You may want to go listen to that because I've been really this, this very much is related. I believe that one of the issues is we have to define the faith. The faith has to be defined. This is the faith. That is not the faith. But if you start erasing any theological lines between a charismatic and a Baptist, between a Baptist and a Presbyterian, then, well, now it just becomes what? Christianity becomes defined as what? Just some nebulous, vague thing? Well, that, that's that's the beginning of the end of writing biblical Christianity off the pages, uh, off the face of the earth. I mean, it really. Uh, many of these churches are post-Baptist, noted Finn, or Flynn, I should say. I keep saying Finn, but it's Flynn, F-L-I-N-N, I apologize. If you visit them, you'll find that their leaders are graduates of SBC schools, but they have moved on to do their own thing. In other words, many Baptist churches are post-Baptist. Baptist distinctives are gone. Let me give you an example, right? I'm up, I'm upstairs, right? If I go to the window, I can look down and I see the street right there next to my house. If I get in my, I go, go get in my car, pull out into that street, go down the street. When I get to the stop sign, take a right. And I'm on Beltway Park Road, I think is what it's called. If I go down five minutes, maybe six minutes, I'm going to see a big mega church, Beltway Park or called the park for short. It used to be called Beltway Baptist is what it used to be called. But Beltway Baptist turned into the park, the park. It has a southern campus and a northern campus. It has, it, it, it's, it's the mega church here in the local area. Now, it's supposed to be a Baptist church. <laughs> there's, there's nothing Baptist about it. It's basically a charismatic church. It, it's, it's charismatic. That's what it is. It's a charismatic, basically it's a charismatic non-denominational church that somehow was connected with the Southern Baptist Convention. I don't know if they're even, maybe they're still connected to the Southern Baptist Convention. Maybe they've removed their connection, but if they're connected to the Southern Baptist Convention, then the Southern Baptist Convention has a charismatic church that has basically lost its Baptist distinctives. That is what's happening in many Southern Baptist churches. They're, they're post-Baptist. They're no longer Baptist. They're this kind of, you know, non-defined evangelical with major charismatic influence. Well, you're, once again, you're just, you're, you're no definitions, then, then Christianity just becomes what? All right, so I, I'm glad that they acknowledged that. Uh, then there was the passage from the 2009 sociologist and historian's note that over the course of the 20th century, the South slowly became part of America again. It took the civil rights era to complete the process. White Southerners either voluntarily changed their minds about race relations, were shamed into changing their minds, or at least submitted to the new status quo. Maybe, maybe they didn't want to, but they ultimately had to submit. The South became the Sun Belt, and Southerners became Americans, and in many cases, the most patriotic of Americans. Today, many SBC churches are black, Latino, Asian, or multicultural with leaders that are conservative theologically but have different approaches when addressing hot-button issues such as institutionalized racism and a tense America. And another change from 1979, these crucial debates take place on Twitter, Facebook, and other digital forums in which success is judged by cliques of true believers. Now, that's, again, we, we could... We could talk about how Christianity, 
what has happened to Christianity in light of social media and how theological battles happen there, how everyone has become so divided and mean and hateful and condemning and attacking. And it's just one controversy after another. In some ways, I don't, I don't think Christianity, whenever the history books are written, I think they're going to look back at Christianity on social media and it's not going to be viewed in a positive way. I think, I think Christianity as represented on social media is not that which has glorified God or really brought anyone to Christ. I think it's, it's caused major division and hatred and hurt and, and fighting. And we, we, that could be an entire podcast in and of itself. What, what will be the history of Christianity on social media? What, what do you think that will look like? All right. They go on to say this last paragraph. These days, we don't talk to Southern Baptists with other points of view until we get to the National Convention, and then we discover how divided we are, said Finn. Well, see, now here they have it F-I-N-N. So above, they have it written F-L-I-N-N, and here they have it written F-I-N-N. I clearly, this uh, article needed an editor, all right? <laughs> I, I knew it wasn't crazy. I knew that it said Finn the first time, okay, but I, I, I thought maybe I just misread it. All right, here we go. Uh, they said uh, uh, the church now is more divided than ever. Cable news channels and concrete information silos on the internet are totally a part of that. In other words, many Southern Baptists, they only, they, they, they put themselves in one of these silos so they only hear what everyone who agrees with them. And then when they get to the convention, then they realize that there's Southern Baptists who don't agree with them. And they're saying that this is going to lead to a possible massive division in the Southern Baptist world. I don't know. Here's my fear. If the Southern Baptist ends up in a civil war, I think it will be more political than it's going to be theological. I think, I think the divisions in the Southern Baptist are going to be political, cultural, not theological. And if that is the case, that to me is the warning sign. Like if we watch the Southern Baptists, we already see Methodists, they're, they're falling apart and dividing. And, and, and yeah, we see all of the things happening there. If the Southern Baptists, if we watch it kind of implode, they start fighting, it breaks out into a civil war. What you need to do is step back and go, what, what's the issue here? And if the issue is cultural, political, not theological, even though they may try to try to say it's theological, if it's really more political and cultural, that's a bad sign for the future of Christianity. Because that will demonstrate that Christianity is literally systematically being written, in a sense, out of existence. And what's replacing it is a politically hijacked monster mutation hybrid. And that's, that is a bad sign for historical biblical Christianity. There's the article. You can draw your own conclusions. You may have your own perspective. Um, there's far more I could say. But I'm going to stop because, I, well, I have to stop because in just a few minutes, there's going to be a major interruption happening here. Um, but I'll stop there for now, and we'll just see if this sparks some good conversation amongst everyone and uh, gives us some good points of view. But you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. I'll, I'll possibly be back on the air sometime later this afternoon. Thanks for listening. God bless.